Hi, welcome to Chatting to a Friend. I'm Katie Friend and in this podcast I'm chatting to incredible women about their life experiences and adventures as well as their thoughts on friendship, community, self-care, setting boundaries and how they keep healthy, happy and sane. I'd rather be dead than paralysed. The famous last words the night before Karen Dark fell off a sea cliff the following morning, age 21, and was paralysed for life from the chest down. An extraordinary comeback from that accident, from intensive care to going back to finishing her geology PhD in Aberdeen, to completing the London Marathon in a matter of years and quickly following that by hand biking across the Himalayas. She has since become a two-time world champion paratriathlete, has kayaked 1,200 miles from Vancouver to Alaska and is a silver medal and gold medal winning paracyclist from London 2012 and Rio 2016. And all being well, she'll be in Tokyo next year, just as she turns 50. We discuss in length her belief that what if, what if it's too embarrassing, what if I make a fool of myself, what if I can't do it, should be replaced with what if I don't take this opportunity. Her incredible belief that mind over body is so important, regardless of the challenges you are facing. She believes that every person has what she describes as their inner gold, and she's on a mission to help people see that through her transformational coaching. An extraordinary conversation. I really hope you enjoy it. Hi, Karen. Thank you so much for joining me today. Hi, Katie. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Uh, so you are in sunny Mallorca or not so sunny Mallorca. Not so sunny today, but yes, I can see the sun. It's hiding somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, thanks for joining me. I have, if anyone who knows me will tell you that I am rarely lost for words, but um, I finished your book, your first book yesterday, one of three, and I... Uh, was pretty speechless uh, and, and I've been scouring your website and uh, just extraordinary. I want to touch on a few things. Um, I think uh, probably the, this, the, the best place to start is with your accident that you had when you were 21 and to go on to some of the incredible achievements that you have uh, managed over the years. But I'd like to talk on quite a bit about a little bit about the spiritual and emotional journey that you went through and then obviously talk about all the new plans for uh, what's going on in the next year to 18 months. Sounds good. And the, the project that you've been working on for a while now. So can you just talk us through sort of from, I guess, from the beginning of the the second part of your life? <laughs> the second part of my life. I feel like I've had about a million <laughs> lives in one, so I'm not quite sure yeah. where the second part starts, but I think I know what you're referring to. Yeah, yeah. So yes, when it's a long time ago now, but when I was 21, I had a rock climbing accident. So I loved the mountains, being in the mountains, rock climbing, but not so much rock climbing for rock climbing, more just that being outside and being in the mountain landscape, really. Um, but I fell from a sea cliff just outside the city of Aberdeen, where I was a student at the time, and um, don't remember much about it. I was leading a climb, knew that I ran out of strength. It was quite overhanging. And basically, I fell off and don't remember anything, but woke up three days later in intensive care to be informed that I was paralyzed. So I went through that kind of normal stage that probably everybody goes through where you just keep hoping and trying to move your feet and watching and believing and praying that you'll you'll suddenly get some movement back because that first couple of months is quite a critical time when your spinal cord is quite swollen if you've had an accident, bruising, and you're not quite sure what you'll get back or not. But um, despite my very best efforts, yeah, I've been paralyzed since then. So I have what's called complete paraplegia. So that means below my chest level, kind of armpit level, I've got no movement and no sensation at all, which is sometimes really convenient, sometimes really inconvenient. And <laughs> <laughs> um, when is that rather, when is that convenient? Um well, it's convenient. Yeah, actually, good point. When is it convenient? Not very often, but I think I don't feel any pain. If I've got pain below my chest level, I don't tend to really notice mm -hmm. it. But that's um, got a degree of convenience. But, you know, often that can mean that things get quite serious before you mm -hmm. know about them, at which point you're kind of on death's door and being rushed into A&E. So uh, that's not very, and it's not very convenient when you lose your keys and your phone and you realize you've been looking for them for an hour and you're sat on them, which is what happened to me at the weekend. Oh. <laughs> Uh-huh. And there's a part of the story, because what I got from reading 
your story is that although this was a defining moment in the rest of your life, that actually it sort of it felt like a beginning. As we were saying earlier, you've had a, a, it seems like you've had several thousand lives, but it seemed like the beginning of a new life. And you'd said, apparently, infamously, the day before your accident, that you'd rather be dead than paralyzed. Yes, I have pay. I do pay a lot of attention to the thoughts and words that come out of my mouth these days. So <laughs> I do seem to have something where whatever I think or say seems to manifest quite quickly. So I did say the night before my accident, I cannot imagine anything worse than being paralyzed. I would rather be dead than paralyzed. And then just about 12 hours later, there I was. So yeah, good to be conscious of what we're thinking and believing but, indeed yeah but indeed it did you know certainly wasn't the truth and clearly it's not anything that I would wish for anybody um but I do really fundamentally believe that when life presents us with these challenges in different shapes and forms then it is an amazing way to gain insight and perspective that you'd never normally have and I suppose I suppose that's become my mantra is what can I learn from this and I suppose with that Mm. kind of mindset it really helps in any scenario where things get tough because instead of focusing on how horrendous and awful it is you're focusing on what good could come of it and what you can learn from it and I think that's I think that's a great philosophy to live by and it's a, it's a wonderful way to navigate the challenges of life because if we didn't do it that way, it, we'd probably have a really miserable time. So it really helps. Exactly. And I, when I read your book, you know, that you tell the story of, it seems you were quite quickly, relatively speaking, back doing stuff out on, in your chair and being taken out by friends off into the Highlands in Scotland again and, and that sort of thing. And for many years, you sort of physically overcame a lot of challenges but that you were perhaps mentally not quite where you are now was that does that is that true that sound true um yeah I mean any anything you know life is a journey and we grow and develop as we go through it so my mindset now is very very different to how it would have been five years ago 10 years ago 20 years ago 25 years ago since I was paralyzed so yeah completely different um and I think much more gritty back then, probably, you know, like really needing to prove to myself, I think, more than anyone, that I could live an independent life, that I could still do things, kind of build up that that confidence. So I think when our external circumstances change, especially so radically, um, or when, when something in life really knocks our confidence and you kind of, you realize that, you know, our self-image and our, our view of ourselves can be very defined by the external world or our external circumstances so I suppose becoming paralyzed has taken me on quite a deep inner journey alongside all the adventures that I've had really sort of contemplating what really matters and what's really important and and you know developing a deeper view of who I am not just uh, the woman that ran over mountains and climbed cliffs or the woman that won Paralympic medals etc that's mm. kind of almost by the by in a way that's kind of been the journey that's taken me to lots of inner learning which is what I'm ultimately much more interested in yeah and I really I'm going to come on to that but I I liked uh, one of the things you said that struck a chord with me in your book was that during your first few years after your accident as you just said you were trying to prove to yourself you were trying to prove to other people that you could get on and and it was based a lot on society valuing strength you know, not valuing, oh yeah, look at her. Oh, she's so brave and she's got up and she's done all these amazing things. So brave, so brave, so strong. And yet it, it's not, you know, it's, you know, it's sort of a, how it should be, how we should be. And I think you probably agree that we spend a lot of our lives worrying about how it should be. Yeah. There's, um, there's lots in there. Um, indeed. And I think still people, I find that whenever I meet new groups of people, it always causes some kind of reaction in people. And often it seems to be around, you know, that you're, you're in a wheelchair and you, you get on and you've, you do, you're doing all these things and that's amazing. And most people sit at home and do nothing. And I'm like, I, I kind of never really know what to make of that or what to mm. do with it because I feel so fortunate in so many ways that I have mm. got a very a strong ability, it seems, to be able to reframe things and see the positive in things and ultimately I just think yeah of course we have a choice I, I could just lie on a sofa and feel sorry for myself but 
life wouldn't be very happy. So I think ultimately most of us would agree that when life throws that difficult stuff at us, really we don't have a lot of choice if we want to if we want to have some quality of life and if we want to be that person for ourselves and for other people, you know, to to, mm. to give out positivity. So I suppose that's that's really driven me through is just wanting to make the most of the circumstances we've got. And I think that was very powerfully <laughs> introduced to me when a, a close friend died in a climbing accident mm. three months after mine. And that was really a big kick up the backside to go, you know what, Fo- you're alive, you, you're, you're living, like you're breathing, go out there and make the most of it. So it really reminded me to focus on what I could do and not on what I couldn't do and what I did mm-hmm. have and not on what I didn't have. So I think, um, sadly, his death really, you know, was very sad, but it did really give me that extra focus that uh, helped me go forward in such a positive way. Yeah, I wondered when I was reading the book, you know, you because you seem like you seemed like you were already quite a, a, an adventurous person who ha- was quite motivated. But I wondered that with his death, you know, would, had he not died, do you think you would still have found that motivation, or do you think? or that you know ability to look at gratitude the gratitude for what you have but maybe would just taken a bit longer perhaps or I think I would have done I think it was just a very early and very stark harsh reminder Mm. of those of those vital things yeah and the thing that I loved I mean we're I am going to come on to all your incredible achievements but what I loved is because the first book you know, it doesn't talk about all the things you've done in the last 10 years as a professional athlete. It talks about the journey from your accident through to sort of being so strong and going, finishing your PhD, get holding down a full-time job. And then this sort of massive spiritual awakening of of the things you've just sort of touched on just, just now, but a journey that some could consider a little bonkers. (laughs) (laughs) Are you referring to the fact that I got on a flight to Brazil, got chopped open by a spirit surgeon? Yeah. <laughs> Lots of random things like that. That crazy time. And, and that's the bit, like, you know, because I, I thought, right, I'm, I love an adventure story. I'm going to read this book and I'm going to, you know, be inspired by all the crazy things and amazing stuff. And 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 suddenly I was halfway through and I went, what? Whoa, wow. where's this going? <laughs> <laughs> so could t- talk to us a little bit more about that because it was absolutely, you know, as you say in yourself in the book, you know, borderline crazy, but something that you needed to go through to really fully understand, you know, how important the mind is over the body. Yeah, well, I'm not sure if I would call it borderline crazy. I think there's lots of paradigms in the world and lots mm. of belief systems that don't fit with the systems that we grow up in mm-hmm. so it might be crazy in one culture but not in another but um and also I think it depend, depends on your definition of, of an adventure so most people just think an adventure means you know putting on some hiking shoes and going off into the wilderness or something mm. but for me it, I can have an amazing adventure in my living room um yeah. into the mind or in whatever other way so yeah I read a book by a Japanese journalist it, it was about um a guy in Brazil who channels the spirit of a deceased surgeon and I you know I I'm open-minded but I I didn't know about any of this stuff I didn't know if I believed in any of it but it captured my interest and I realized that uh, there was a an email in the back of the book for an American filmmaker who was making a film about this guy's work and at one point in the book it talked about how he'd worked on someone with a spinal cord injury who had atrophic legs like no muscles because he hadn't walked or stood up for years and how after this kind of you know spirit surgeon's work he stood up and walked and it was just totally mind-blowing and I wasn't searching for that I I was years after my injury and I hadn't been thinking about that or looking for that but when I read this it just really captured my interest and I thought well I need to go and find out more so yeah it turned out I emailed the filmmaker and there was a group of American doctors and consultants going down to Brazil to sort of study his work and there was a spare place in the group so um, within a couple of weeks I was on a plane to Brazil on my own to meet this bunch of American doctors consultants and so on and just get immersed in in looking at what this guy was doing so it was a very very unexpected adventure for me it completely blew my mind because mm. I saw things which I had no explanation for I mm. knew what I'd experienced I knew I hadn't been hypnotized or coerced in any way mm. I hadn't paid any money there was like nothing obvious as to why 
I was experiencing what I was experiencing. So I know when I came back to Britain, it was very interesting because so many people had fear or judgment about what I'd done mm. um, that it felt very, very lonely. It's almost like I couldn't even begin to tell anybody what the experience had been. So, mm. um, yeah, that was quite an interesting time and a great realization that, you know, many people do prefer to live in the paradigms that they're in with the beliefs that they're in and not and don't like to be confronted by stuff that kind of throws all that out of the window. Whereas I suppose I thrive on discovering things that throws things out of the window, even though it's sometimes a little bit um, daunting or scary. And how did that experience take you forward into the new direction that you then went? Um, I'm not sure I would say it took me on a new I mean, it it did radically change my life because suddenly I was back in an office, sat in front of computer screens, and it didn't make sense to be there anymore like I needed to. Mm-hmm. It got me really interested in how we learn and grow and develop as people. So I suppose mm-hmm. it triggered that new journey. So I left behind being a geologist and um, became a specialist in learning and development and coaching and areas of work which interested me much, much more. And I suppose that that world of the mind and the body and possibility and belief systems etc um so it did change completely my journey in that respect yeah and so then you went on to do the sort of learning development and in parallel you were starting to achieve some incredible uh, well you had already achieved you'd already done the london marathon and you'd been across the is it the how do you pronounce it the Karakoram? The Karakoram. Mountain? Yeah. Karakoram, thank you. Um, in the Himalayas, uh, on, on the Green Beast, which I loved hearing about. Um, the, the hand cycle uh, with the bike on the back. Is that a correct description? Yep, it's yellow now, actually. It got painted and it was oh. in the European Museum of Transport in Glasgow for about four years. And I actually oh, rode it again this summer, which was fantastic. So it was a nice uh, revisit. <laughs> And how did you sort of strengthen your beliefs that, that, you know, you were starting to learn and believe and, and, and study with the adventures that you were taking on and the, the, the further physical extremes that you were going to? You mean, how, kind of how did I integrate those two worlds? Yeah, how did you get, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I suppose I, I, suppose I hadn't, maybe I hadn't realised that I was always so good at reframing things or looking for the mm. possibility in things. And maybe my love of the outdoors and mountains has always just been so clear to me that I would kind of endure anything to go there, if that makes sense. So when Mm -hmm. I was planning that very first journey to cycle across the Himalayas, which was just a few years after I became paralyzed, so many people were scared for me and coming up with all of the kind of negatives about what would you do if this, that and the other. Mm -hmm. And all I could think about was how incredible it would be. And, you know, I suppose that that was my very early journey in in realizing that when we have a strong vision of what we want to experience or create or um, a belief in something and just keep working towards it, then it doesn't matter how many fears or worries or actual things that, you know, could get in the way. You just find a way to overcome them and you can you can use that stuff to actually help you achieve things in a in a more safe and surprisingly good way than you would if you didn't have those negative thoughts or worries if that makes sense and I think each journey since then I suppose it's like you develop confidence in one place and then you think well if that was possible maybe this other thing is possible that I really wouldn't have thought about before and so I guess one thing leads to another doesn't it you never you can never predict where your journey's going and I've never been strategic at all about my adventures it's just kind of been an emergent thing I'll meet someone who says hey what about this and then you you go and then that leads to something else and then gradually these ideas um, have grown and expanded so yeah I'd I'd kayaked for example from Vancouver to Alaska Mm -hmm. with a group and it was just a vision that I had because I met someone who'd kayaked that journey and I thought wow that'd be amazing there's a a route called the inside passage so Mm -hmm. you're largely sheltered from the the blast of the Pacific and you can journey from Vancouver all the way up to Alaska. Um, and then my, my, it was an, an ex actually. And he said, well, that sounds fantastic. Let's do it. And then the next person he invited along was another person who was paralyzed. I'm thinking, great. Now we've got two of us that can't walk and one person <laughs> that can is getting even more impossible. And then, you know, somehow we ended up with a group of nine of us and we spent three months um, taking this incredible journey on the ocean and, you know, sometimes I think when we do these things that surprise us, you look back and just 
can't believe he did it either. But it's incredible what the power of, you know, vision, belief, and then just determination to keep working and having a great group of people working on something together can um, can produce. I quite agree. I uh, I have a great f- philosophy that I try to stick to, um, which is to add more adventure into everyday life. And I loved what you said earlier about you don't have to be, um, you know, up a mountain or wherever it might be. You can have an adventure in your living room. And I love that idea. And it's something that I have been working on recently um, more than before. And that feeling that you get when you just think, oh man, it just sounds like a really great adventure. I love that because I, a few years ago, I decided to run the half marathon to Saab and I wasn't a runner, just wasn't a runner at all. I was hardly very sporty. And mm-hmm. everyone was saying, what? A 120 kilometer self-sufficient three-day race in the desert what but you don't run and I was like I know but it just sounds really exciting (laughs) and I so I totally get that feeling of and I loved it I was reading excerpts of your book book to my kids at the table this morning and their eyes were like saucers just saying wow she sounds really cool mommy and so just that whole you know and as you say it can go from the tiniest smallest thing that, oh, well, what if I make a fool of myself when I do that presentation at work tomorrow to what if I decide to, you know, to kayak 1,200 miles along the Canadian-Alaskan border, uh, coast? I think one of the things that I, I quite like to think about is not, you know, what if, as in what will go wrong, but what if I don't, mm. you know? So we need to, I kind of believe that we should ideally be expanding into new places and new experiences and that's how we can kind of keep changing and growing so for me my biggest fear is just sort of suddenly not you know not doing not doing anything and not having any aspirations or or dreams or goals to work towards that feels that sound feels not very much fun to me (laughs) oh quite right I love that and there's the whole you know of all the things you're going to regret regret the things you did not the things you didn't do that sort Mm -hmm. of um, and you just said a minute ago that you didn't have a strategy, but you did at, at some point get this buzz of what if I could be in the Olympics or the Paralympics. So there must have been a little bit of a plan when you got to that stage. Um, yeah, so the, the the whole Paralympic journey took me by surprise, I suppose. I I loved sport and outdoor life and being healthy and fit. And then when you're in a wheelchair, so many people say to you, have you ever thought about going to the Paralympics? As if it's like just saying, have you ever thought about doing, your, you know, your village fun run or that half marathon <laughs> down the road? And so I guess I kind of started to believe it was going to be that easy. So I thought, well, hang on. And actually, when I when I thought about it, it was nothing that interested me. I have no interest in running around a running track or swimming, mm. swimming coming down a swimming pool. I mean, I do those things, but... I couldn't do them for hours on end and be passionate about it and really enjoy that journey. But in 2008, I'd actually been on a kayaking holiday to Sweden and spent a couple of weeks on the ocean, getting quite scared at times, but really amazing holiday, Uh, but came back and had some pressure problems on my backside because I'd been sat in the kayak too long. So I basically had to lie on my tummy for a month and it coincided with the Beijing Paralympic Games being on telly. And I noticed that for the first time ever, hand cycling was in it um, as a kind of, I think it was a medal sport, but it was kind of like a demo as well. It was the first Mm. year it had been included. And I knew the next Paralympics was scheduled to be in London. And I just suddenly thought, that is one sport that I love doing. Like, I, Mm. that would be amazing. I call it having a wouldn't it be amazing, a a wibber. So my wouldn't it be amazing (laughs) became, wouldn't it be amazing to try and go to the London Paralympics and just take part in one in my own country? not knowing at all that that was going to define the next sort of 12 years of my life <laughs> and that it still is defining my life and mm. um, it was just going to begin this incredible journey. But I suppose for me with the Paralympic stuff, I can't say that I like racing my bike. I have no real, you know, I have none of that kind of attachment to the going, it makes you a better person to win a gold medal or look at me, I won a gold mm. medal. Like it just, to me, it's all completely sort of, on one level, there's some, you know, it's, it's quite inspirational because the the teamwork and the commitment and the, the dedication that goes in is is inspirational. You know, it really is. Um, 
But then beyond that, it's like, who really cares who rides this weird bike the fastest or who does something <laughs> the quickest? And it's only a small pool of people that have decided to do it anyway. You know, it's kind of a bit random. So, but I've really enjoyed that challenge of of just committing to something and really mm-hmm. working at something every day and that, that kind of nonstop determination and discipline that it takes. And also just looking for how, you know, what, what, how can you become better at something and that kind of learning process again that exists mm-hmm. in it and each olympic cycle that i've done now has has had a different learning process so london was very much how can you even get there and for me that was about mm-hmm. a huge change in identity because i just didn't see myself as an athlete i'd come last in any races i'd ever done the finish lines were often being packed up and i was like i'm just not an athlete and suddenly it was this complete rewriting of my identity And then going to Rio, it became, wow, well, okay, how do you get to be good enough to potentially win a gold medal? And how can you pay enough attention to all of the detail in something to really try and go to that next level? And now I'm, I thought I would stop, but now I'm still going (laughs) with the hope of getting to Tokyo or the vision of getting there. And um, for me, this time it is really about how can you do this with all of that learning and all that wisdom that you've accumulated so that you can really enjoy the journey, so not have this kind of mm. constant pressure on yourself, and also do it really listening to your body and kind of with well-being. And I really believe that we have to be able to perform as well as ever if we're listening to our body and honoring that and not just overriding it and pushing and pushing and forcing ourselves you know, into a place that's maybe not the healthiest place for us to go. So that's kind of my journey this time. <laughs> Amazing. And I remember reading in your book, there was the the point at which you you sort of came to terms with oh maybe that's not the right expression when you wished you had said I can't do this climb it's too hard for me and then said I I pushed myself too far where is the line because that's something that really interested me because you had, you'd said, you know, if I had just said, I, I'm t- this is too difficult, I need to go back down and let my climbing partner lead because he's stronger or whatever. And then there's the line of you, you push yourself to be better, to be stronger, to do things that you thought, never thought you could do. And I'm not talking just about you, I'm talking about us, we in general. Where, how, how do you find that line and is it different for every person? Yeah, good question. Um, so I don't know if if there is such such a thing as a line. I think mm. it is really down to just honouring what is right now. So, for example, um, last week, or was it the week uh, the week before last hour? So about ten days ago. So I was absolutely exhausted when I rode my bike. I felt like the numbers. I couldn't believe they were so low you're thinking I need you know in the past I would have thought I need to push harder I need to try and get the numbers back up to where they should be whereas now I'm much more accepting of okay I'm out I'm trying but it's just not there so listen to that and the fact that you know you're looking at your bike not feeling very excited about it trust yourself Mm. you know that you normally love to do it so if you're if you're looking at it and you're not feeling excited and there's no numbers there just listen to that and give yourself a rest and being much more accepting of that Whereas, yeah, like I said, in the past, I would have pushed through. So um, and and also not kind of extrapolating. So just because you haven't got it today doesn't mean that you won't tomorrow. Just because mm-hmm. you're not feeling good today doesn't mean that you won't tomorrow. So I think just, you know, it's really easy to with with that kind of um, naivety or in the early days of my Olympic Paralympic career, just to kind of extrapolate and think just because you've missed one target, you're never going to make it. Um, just to kind of chunk you might call it chunking up in Mm -hmm. psychological terms Um, and you just need I think it's really helpful to chunk down and just go okay this is today one moment in time everything's different the next day so I just try and stay focused on listening to to the moment and the day and not not making everything about everything and that just seems to keep me on track Um, and that way if you you know if, if I'd have been back there on that climb that day really listening to myself I would have been like okay you're not for whatever reason today you, you don't feel strong enough you, you're feeling this nervousness um just go back down that's okay there's no ego required <laughs> yeah. just honor that and then whereas now I would you know I would, I would listen and be much wiser I think with it 
And do you think in the last 10 years or 12 years since you took on the dream of going to the Olympics and, as you say, sort of three very different journeys to date, that having professional coaches and presumably, you know, teams worth of you know, physios and psychologists and so on has made a big difference in your learning, even though you were already on that learning curve yourself? Um, well, yeah, obviously having some professionals that know what they're doing really helps. So I have had the same coach since my very beginning, kind of 12 years now. It's probably the longest relationship with a, with a man I've ever had, <laughs> apart from my dad and my brother. Um, <laughs> and we have kind of, you know, like tiffs over things in, in, at times. But yeah, no, I mean, he brings expertise that I certainly didn't have in the early years and even now. He still does things that I just have no interest in doing, like analyzing data inside out and loading it into special software so you can kind of pick up trends and things. Um, so I think it's about knowing what you're interested in and knowing what you need support with. Um, I've, I'm not in the team right now and I don't get that support. And to be honest, even when I was in the team, because I'd never been based in Manchester where the British cycling team are based, I've never mm -hmm. been in direct contact with with their kinds of support. So I've always kind of had my own team around me that I've developed. Mm -hmm. And it's just, I think it's just about knowing when, what your strengths are and what you need help with, what you can do yourself, what you need support mm -hmm. with. And I think for any of us on any journey, we all need a bit of a team. We need someone mm -hmm. that can reflect back to us or pull us up when we're, you know, overdoing things or underdoing things or just keep us a little bit on track and accountable and, and it makes it more fun having some people to to work with. And so even though cycling is a very individual sport in, in, mm. in my world, because there aren't I'm, there aren't a group of women on handbikes, we're not working together in races or in or in the road race. It's, it's very mm. much just me on my own. Um, it doesn't feel that way. Like I couldn't have done it without some great professionals who are really good at what they do and who have supported me along the way. And you've had some incredible support from friends right from the very from the word go people to do adventures with people to sit in the hospital with you people who've, who've just said yeah let's go yeah I mean people and relationship and connectedness is what makes the world go around isn't it mm. and uh, without without those those friendships I think most of us would struggle and um, I've been really fortunate to have some incredible friends and incredible strangers that I've met along the way who just have, have, have given and supported and who you've had that, you know, that journey and that relationship with that has been very special. And you've put that, all this sort of knowledge and expertise and experience and the, the sort of, I'm not sure I quite like the expression spiritual awakening, but that's how it felt like to me in the, when I read your book and you're now you do transformational coaching. Yeah. So it's a, it's a passion to, to help people on their journeys. And mm. um, I've actually resisted. I, I used to work coordinating coaching programs when I had um, a real job in an office um, mm -hmm. but but doing less of the hands-on coaching and, and I've, I've then trained and over the years done various um, had various opportunities to actually co coach people directly but it's something that at times I've resisted because I felt like well look who am I to to tell someone what to do or how to live or give them any support in their yeah. journey but the, the way I coach is is very much non-directive I'm not pretending that I know the answers for anybody I think everybody has that knowledge and that wisdom about their own path and their own journey within themselves but I think sometimes we do get a bit lost or we struggle or we just can always benefit from someone to 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 work with us to help us get really clear about what matters to us what we're passionate about um, or something that we're struggling with and some mindsets to overcome it so it's an absolute privilege and a passion to get to work with people and and coach them yeah and is it people from all walks of life um yeah yeah I in fact I I do some work with sports people but the majority is um quite a lot at the moment with people in social enterprise so I've, I've worked a lot mm -hmm. with the third sector so people running social enterprises who tend to be people who are very very passionate about what they're doing and the social impact of what they're doing and mm -hmm. um an amazing work so it's very inspiring it, I, I, one of the things I noticed with coaching is that, you know, we are all human and we are all connected. So whatever issue somebody comes with or whatever challenge they come with, there's always something in it which reflects back to, to me as, you know, to learn from. So 
it is a great privilege. But um, my vision for the future is to combine all of my passions. So exercise with big horizons and landscapes and coaching and sort of transformational journeys. So that's uh, something I'm working on at the moment is a plan to take people on journeys and you know, but in a bit of a more structured way than you would if it was just a holiday or a, an adventure journey, but to actually kind of reflect on things and coach along the way. Like a physical going somewhere journey? Yeah, a physical traveling journey. So Ooh, wow. like the last four years, I've been crossing continents, cycling with oceans mm-hmm. and rivers and using the landscape to help me with some of the challenges I've had and you know the, the power of big horizons and and of nature and of landscape to teach us and show us things is immense. So I think the power of using that in combination with with coaching and and a kind of you know a conscious journey is is where I'm going with work. So very excited about it. <laughs> that is exciting, and I want to ask you about that in just a second. But I want to just quickly go back to something you said a second ago, which was effectively that for a while you felt like you had it sounded to me like imposter syndrome, which so many people suffer from. And, you know, when you hear somebody like you who's achieved such incredible things say something like that, you know, it strikes me that that we're all just a bit, why do we do that to ourselves? Because, you know, we're all so capable of doing so much good stuff with the stories and the journeys that we've accumulated along the way. We are. And I think part of my journey in life has been to learn to just accept what is and I think a lot of people use the word inspirational when they're around me and I've resisted that for many years and kind of shy away from it. And I'm not saying that I'm stepping into that, saying that um, that I am or that what I do is at all. But mm. I just think that we're, we're inspiration to each other in so many different ways. Mm. And when we embrace what we what we like doing and what we're passionate about, it usually means that we can be quite good at it. And we all have different perspectives to bring into the world and to share with each other so I think it's kind of part of our job really is to step up to what we're what we're what we seem to be doing or what we seem to bring or what our gifts seem to be and um, accept that that's what we're we're here to do and to embrace it and do it to the best of our ability knowing that in doing that we're being the best of ourselves but also helping other people in some way. I think that's right. And I think that the the trick is to find what that thing is, because we've all got a thing. And it's one of the reasons I started this podcast was to talk to women about specifically women, because I think women's stories are not often heard as much um, about what they can offer and what they have. And I know that majority of my listeners are women. And I love the fact that I keep getting feedback of, wow, that made me go out and walk around the park or that you know just a small thing that that someone else's story has triggered something in you you think yeah I I've got Mm -hmm. a thing that I could do or that's something that I could do better or I could be passionate about um amazing so I wanted to um so your project 79 that has been your sort of passion project and and so on for the last little while can you tell us a little bit about that Quest 79. Yeah, that's so I, that's right, <laughs> Quest 79. Uh, well, it kind of also happened accidentally, unexpectedly. Mm-hmm. The whole summer before I went to the Rio Paralympics, I had a small addiction to a particular um, drink from a cafe. I won't mention any names of the cafe, or the, but it was a chai latte, which is just full of sugar, basically, and it was terrible for me. But I would have one every day, and whenever I went to order one, I'd always say, "Can I have it extra hot, please?" And the bar, the barista, cafe person, said to me one day, "Ask for it at seventy nine degrees, because that's the hottest we can make it." I was like, <laughs> "Okay, right, that's a bit weird, but okay." And then someone in the team caught on to this, and then suddenly it was like a standing joke that I was asking for drinks at 79 degrees and what a diva <laughs> this was. Um, anyway, in Rio, I won um, the gold medal that I'd set out to, to win, which mm-hmm. was a total shock and surprise. But I also realized when I saw a video about British medals that it was the 79th medal for Britain. I was like, God, that's interesting. That's mm. that number again. And then the, this number just kept popping up and up and up and up. And I suppose once we focus on something, we start to mm-hmm. notice something more, but it somehow became my number. And I was suppose I was considering what, what next after Rio. And I do love to ju- take journeys through landscapes, as I've described. Mm-hmm. So I had this idea to hand cycle 
um, in each of the seven continents. I didn't want to sign out of my life and cycle around the world for on a handbike. It'd probably take me four years or something. Mm-hmm. So I decided I would just choose a particular journey across each continent. And they've all been somehow connected to water. So following an ocean, coastline, a long river from source to sea, or in the case of Africa, the water towers of Africa, which uh, are in northern Ethiopia, which sadly is just in the last few weeks gone into a terrible situation with um, looks like kind of civil war emerging. Mm. So, yeah, but those journeys have been really special. And at the same time, I wanted to inspire other people to go, look, when you when you just dare to step out of your comfort zone and go for that thing that you've been maybe thinking about but not quite daring to do, how it's a great opportunity to discover so much about yourself and the world and also to inspire people around around you. It's like a kind of, you know, in the same way that a virus spreads, I think when each of us do things like this, then it kind of spreads positive viruses in a, in a, in a great way to other people by inspiring people to step in and do their own thing. So there's been great stories from um, a 10-year-old boy from the Isle of Skye that told his mum and dad he wanted to climb 79 pe- peaks in 79 weeks. Mm. And I don't think they even liked mountain climbing, but <laughs> he... Um, he put the pins in the map, chose his mountains, and he, he completed that within a year. Oh. Um, there's just been loads of different things. Like my my dad cycled 79 miles for 79 years. There's a couple of other people that have done that as well. Um, families or young people that have also decided to take on 79 challenges in different ways. So 79 minutes of fresh air a week wow. has been at one kind of extreme because mm-hmm. kids that weren't going outside at all have decided to do that right through to... You know, I'm going to cycle to school for 79 days in a row. Um, one guy that ran a marathon, but only when 79 people had donated blood because he had a, a child in his family that needed blood donations. So really diverse ideas around 79, which have been pretty special. Um, the Murray Scouts in Scotland, they got together and took a journey of 79 miles across Scotland from West Coast to East Coast. And a lot of these people have been raising money for charities at the same time, either charities close to their own hearts or I'm raising 79,000 for the Spinal Injuries Association. So some people have been helping out with that. So, yeah, just some incredibly amazing stories. And then in the middle of all of this, of course, the big continent which intimidated me so much and still does is Antarctica. Mm. Amazing, amazing, beautiful place, but clearly delicate, fragile landscape. I've kind of felt very privileged to even be thinking about the possibility Mm -hmm. of going there but also kind of feeling quite responsible if I go there there needs to be a really good reason for it not just to go and you know tick a box Mm -hmm. or something like that so in the middle of all this I discovered that 79 degrees latitude and longitude is in the middle of Antarctica Mm -hmm. and as soon as I realized it I was like oh my goodness that's where that's where I have to go Mm -hmm. we're gonna go and had this idea to go there and create something that we're calling the pole of possibility So there's a small team of us, a very diverse team, and that's where we're aiming to go to in January 22. Um, A big project that we want to just inspire lots and lots of people, but especially young people, about what's really possible when you, like you talked about, the imposter syndrome, when you put that self-doubt to the side. It doesn't mean you have to be egotistical or over cocky, but you just go, you know what? I love this and I'm going to try and do it. Mm. And you just put in that passion and that determination and see what happens. And I'm pretty sure that if anyone decides to do that, then amazing things will happen and all sorts of things will become possible just like they have for me. So that's the kind of vision for the pole of possibility. And anyone who wants to get involved, it'd be fantastic to hear from them. There's a website about it and all sorts of things. And we're still looking for sponsors. So there's lots of things in there, but we will definitely be going and creating it and how how can people get involved you say you mentioned sponsors but what are other ways that people can get involved so we're also asking people to decide to take on their own little quest 79 whatever that might be so whether Mm -hmm. that is 79 mountains or whether it is 79 minutes of Mm -hmm. fresh air or 79 books you want to read whatever um and if you could find a way to raise a bit of money for charity in the program in in the in the process let us know that you're doing it and your name will go on the flag that we're going to plant at the pole of possibility. So we've got individuals, families, groups of people who are gradually uh, schools, but gradually getting names that will will go on that flag. So there's, there's still plenty of places on it because I think we've got about 20 filled at the moment, but yeah, really keen to get more people so we can fill that up. 
Incredible. And how are you training for that? Um, I'm just following my normal bike training. So I'm training for mm-hmm. the um, Tokyo Paralympics, but I am also a few times a week going ski polling around in Mallorca along the beach when people look at me really <laughs> weirdly like why are you flying here with ski poles but um they've got tips in that go into the tarmac and I sit in my wheelchair and just kind of pole along so that's getting those extra muscles along with some gym work fit for the skiing action yeah because you've done you obviously do sit skiing when obviously I know that you do sit skiing but you've also done an incredible sit skiing expedition before just ju- just one yeah so did some training mm-hmm. in Scandinavia and then spent a month crossing the Greenland ice cap which was a hugely out of my comfort zone adventure um being paralyzed means that you can't regulate your body temperature mm-hmm. and I have a catheter and um going for a poo in the wilderness isn't very easy so mm-hmm. lots of elements that just really really scared me about it but we worked through them all well I worked through them all one by one and with my friends found solutions to things so yeah I think that's the journey that has given me confidence to be able to con- even consider going to Antarctica but um, it's been a long time it's been over 10 years since I took that journey in Greenland so at the moment I'm revisiting all of these mm. areas of mm-hmm. fear and self-doubt and um, potential problems and trying try to make sure that I solve them in advance so that we can be as safe as we possibly can when we go to Antarctica. Incredible and how many in the team? There are five of us so Iona is 19 now but she began her journey when she was 14 with a Scottish charity called the Polar Academy. Mm -hmm. So the Polar Academy choose or they work with schools in Scotland and they're really keen on working with young people who they kind of call them the invisible kids. So the ones that aren't kind of really um, really high achieving but also the ones that aren't with problems because both those groups tend to get quite a lot of support Mm. and attention already so the kids in the middle who maybe just have dreams and aspirations but they don't really know have that belief that you know that self-doubt's quite quite big there and then work with these young people for a year to get fit physically to train to tow tires on beaches and eventually take a journey through a polar landscape. So um, in Greenland, usually with the Polar Academy. So Iona did that when she was 14, and it absolutely radically transformed her life and actually gave her, in her own words, I spoke to her this morning, she, she says how much it gave her the strength and the resilience and that inner belief to get through a trauma that happened to her the year after her journey with the Polar Mm. Academy when she was in the Ariana Grande bombing in Manchester and experienced a lot of trauma. So I think that previous experience really helped her get through the trauma of that. Mm -hmm. And she's incredibly excited, and we are as well, that she's part of our team to go to um, the Pole of Possibility. And then we have a filmmaker Mm because we really want to document the stories of Iona and myself and that kind of you know that background that I'm describing about going from lack of lack of belief and all that self doubt to really um, realizing that we're calling it inner gold, that inner gold that we all mm. have inside of us, and the power of connection when we get together in a team and really support each other, and and then the power of environment so that those big horizons, that that, that natural landscape to help us um, heal and be healthy and. Um, and how we need to look after that as well so that's our that's our message and Iona and I were really excited when we had a chat about why we were doing this journey together and we mm-hmm. talked about inner goal connection and environment and then realized that it spelt ice so we were it wasn't <laughs> deliberate but it was like wow it spells ice how cool is that so yeah that's the kind of message we're putting out to people and trying to encourage people to um to embrace that as well just to look you know focus on that inner gold that belief in yeah. themselves and what's possible the connection and how we can all help and support each other and um an and environment connecting with the world outsiders and nature and looking after it as well as um gaining the benefits of being in it and all of the well-being that it brings us yeah indeed oh it sounds absolutely incredible i love i, I particularly love the idea of the inner gold i think that's magical if that's not too twee a word to use you lived in scotland long enough to know what twee means um cheesy <laughs> Um, I think that's amazing. I had one last question because I know you've got to dash off uh, about Tokyo. So obviously you presumably should have been there this summer. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, planning to be there next summer, obviously. And what? Uh, how is that 
helping or affecting or not helping with the training for um, Antarctica? Is it interfering, the fact that it's been put off by, by a year, or is it...? Um, the only challenge it's, it's brought up is um, really around the snow training. So, But the fact that we have a global pandemic right now is causing more challenges with getting into the <laughs> snow training. So we did have some team training planned for December, and um, we can't do that just because of travel restrictions, etc. But mm. um, and I'm conscious that I can't take too much time out off the bike. But actually, I'm also mm. turning that on its head. So I never take time out off the bike. And actually, I can look back at my bike data and see that a number of years ago, one of the times that I was the strongest I'd ever been was after I'd been on a journey in Norway by Sitski for 10 days mm. and not been on my bike. And I came back and within a week I was stronger than I'd ever been. So I think I'm needing, I, I'm kind of using it as a way to break down some of my beliefs and ideas around what I need to mm. be doing and actually trying to look at it as, hey, this actually could get you stronger than ever because you're still active and doing something. But actually, it's giving your system a change and a break, and maybe you'll come back stronger than ever. So that's my hope. <laughs> well, fingers crossed that it all goes ahead. Uh, one of my podcast guests the other day was telling me all about the the logistics of trying to get it all off the ground a year later, and it uh, sounds like quite a challenge for everybody. But exciting that you will be, what, heading into a big number next year in terms of big birthday for the Olympics? Yes. Yep, I'll be 20, right? 21 again. <laughs> indeed and again one of my podcasts last week a guest last week was uh talking to me about going to paris when she will be that same age she'll be just just about 50 51 so very uh inspiring i know it's not a word that sits well with you but uh certainly going off to be in your third olympic cycle is uh, incredible I'm going to let you go, but uh, thank you. I, I could talk to you for a week at least, um, but thank you so much for your time. <laughs> thank you, Katie. I should tell you a funny story about that because um, Please. I completely do not feel like I'm nearly 50. And so people are always saying things like, should you really be going to another Paralympics? What you should have, you know, this is what you do when you're 16. <laughs> and I'm, I just cannot abide age as an excuse. I just think mm. that so much of it is in our mindset. And I've decided that I'm basically just going to have my 40th instead of, my 50th and I was telling my new flatmate in Scotland and he actually went onto Wikipedia and reset my age so we have had an official <laughs> reset so I will be having my 40th next year <laughs> and um, I, I'm calling it not denial but I'm calling it an, a, an actual conscious mindset reset of my uh, physical age. <laughs> oh, quite right too because I was just thinking oh my word I was looking at the Wikipedia thinking that can't be right because I'm pretty sure she's about the same age as me. There you go. <laughs> That's the background. Well, I agree with you completely because my uh, my dad, who is an uh, incredible, uh, you know, he's 86 now, but he was climbing Aconcagua when he was nearly 70. He has traveled around the world and carried on climbing and fishing and doing everything he possibly can and still is with not much eyesight and uh, same goes for my mom and mo most of the people I know age is simply a number so I couldn't agree with you more channeling your dad I'll have a bit of him <laughs> yeah <laughs> excellent well listen thank you so much all the very best for quest 79 and for uh, Tokyo next year we I will be following with bated breath to see how it all goes and hopefully this podcast will inspire some people to take on their own quest 79 challenges Thank you so much, Katie. Really nice to chat to you. Thanks for being so interested and for, yeah, for all of your time. Pleasure. Take care. Thanks. Thanks for joining me. I'll be back next week with another incredible episode of Chatting to a Friend. In the meantime, please give us a follow on Instagram, Chatting to a Friend, for all the latest news. Bye-bye.